This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello and welcome to TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. This month, I caught up with Dr. Darcy Kruger of Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Dr. Kruger is one of the principal investigators in a new clinical trial called TSC Steps. TSC Steps is a study to learn more about a drug known as Sirolimus and determine if it can prevent seizures and epilepsy in children diagnosed with tuberous sclerosis complex. Dr. Kruger provides an overview of the trial, the eligibility requirements, risks and benefits to participate, and what participation in the trial looks like for families. He also shares how he hopes his trial and other early intervention trials may shift the paradigm of care for those affected by TSC. Here's my conversation with Darcy. So we're now joined by Dr. Darcy Kruger. Dr. Kruger is the clinic director at the TSC Center of Excellence in Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and he's also a member of the TSC Alliance Board of Directors. Dr. Kruger, thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm glad to be here. It's an exciting time to be involved in tuberous sclerosis, and we're making great progress, but we also have a lot to do yet. So it's just a good time to connect. Absolutely. And speaking of that progress and the work still yet to be done, I wanted to connect with you today to talk about a new clinical trial in TSC, the TSC STEPS trial. So can you give us a little overview of what the trial is? Yeah, this is the culmination of, of many years of work that has been building on what we understand about the mTOR pathway and its role in many different aspects of TSC. And over the years, we've been able to study this pathway and use medications that target this pathway to treat many different aspects of TSC, including the kidneys, brain tumors, lung disease, and even skin manifestations. Well, we learned over the years, too, that some patients also reduce the number of seizures, but not everybody. And so we are now at the point in our investigations to see if we use this medication very early in life, in the first few months of life even, can we either prevent seizures altogether from starting, or if they come, are they easier to treat and less likely to impact development? So that's the foundation understanding of how we got here and what we're trying to do with the TSC STEPS clinical trial. And within that framework of the trial, what are the primary endpoints and the secondary endpoints? What are you measuring? So with any clinical trial, we have lots of things we're interested in seeing what a treatment can do, but we have to be practical about it. So in this case, we know that most patients who are diagnosed with tuberous sclerosis will have seizures develop. And in most of those individuals who have seizures in TSC, they're going to start before you turn one. So in this case, the primary endpoint is asking, can we, by the time you have your first birthday, either stop you from having seizures ever? Or if you do have seizures, are they easier to treat? The other thing we're looking at is the safety of this treatment when it's used at such young ages. We have a plenty of experience nowadays, almost 20 years of experience of using mTOR inhibitors to treat TSC patients who are older, either they're adults or adolescents or children. But we have less experience using them in the very young. We do have some experience, enough that we feel confident that it is safe, but we haven't done the proper clinical studies to actually prove that that's the case, that it's very safe to use in very young individuals. So our secondary endpoint is we are collecting safety data through that entire first year when patients are being treated with this medication. The study also has built into it some other questions that we think are pretty essential, which is how well is development progressing in patients who are treated at such young ages with mTOR inhibitors? We suspect that in addition to helping better control seizures or preventing seizures altogether, that will also protect the brain from many of the TAND or TSC-associated neuropsychiatric disorders and those manifestations that affect development and behavior 
both early in life and later. So we were following these patients out until the time that they turned two, just to get a good sense of how development is progressing at that point. So you mentioned that the study is looking at the effect of mTOR inhibitors really early on in life. What are the eligibility requirements? Who can enroll in this trial? So because it's designed around epilepsy, we have to actually design it particularly around things that are measurable and also the timing has to be early in life. So the eligibility criteria are that you have to have a diagnosis of tuber sclerosis. Now that diagnosis can be done clinically or it can be done genetically. So we have either option, which is consistent with the current recommendations and guidelines. You have to be less than six months of age because we want to catch most patients before they've ever started having seizures. And you also can't have yet started to have seizures because we want to prevent them altogether. So those are the key eligibility criteria. There's a few others in there, like you can't already be on preventative medicine since we are using the mTOR inhibitors as the prevention medicine in this trial. And you can't have any other major medical issues or be significantly premature at the time delivery, which we define as, you know, less than 34 weeks in this study. So how many infants are you trying to enroll in the study and where does enrollment stand right now? So we are hoping to enroll a little bit over 60 babies, so 64 babies, ideally, knowing that there may be a few that that don't aren't able to finish the study for whatever reason. So our target is to have 60 patients by the end of the study that have completed the treatment. We are one fourth of the way enrolled. So we've already got the first 15 babies enrolled and we are open for enrollment across the United States and in patients that can travel to the United States at multiple centers across the United States. Cincinnati certainly is one of those sites, but we also have Boston Children's Hospital. We have the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. We have the University of Alabama in Birmingham. We have the University of Texas in Houston. We have UCLA and we have Stanford University out in California. We have Washington University in St. Louis as well. And we are hoping and working on adding more sites in 2023 so that it can become even more accessible to patients who have TSC. And what does participation in this trial look like? How often are kids being seen at one of these sites and what all is involved? That's an excellent question because anytime when you talk about study, it's one thing about what the study is designed to do, but then it's also what am I committing to or signing up for? So in this case, we have to have a visit at the very start of the study in order to do some safety checks and get some baseline instructions done on how to give the medicine. We have to do a baseline EEG just to make sure that there's no reason why a patient has already perhaps started to have seizures that we haven't seen yet. So that happens at baseline. And then one to two weeks later, we have to do a blood check and that can either be done by in person or we can also work with the families about doing that locally. There is a return visit at 30 days after you start the treatment. And most of the time that will be done in person, but there can be extenuating circumstances where that might be able to be done remotely through telemedicine as well. Then there is a visit at three months of age if it doesn't correspond with one of the previous visits. There's a six-month visit that has to be done in person. There's a nine-month visit that can be done through telemedicine or in person. There's a 12-month visit that has to be done in person. And then there's one last checkup at 24 months for us to get some final data on how your child is doing. So over the course of the study, over two years, there could be as many as eight visits in person, or there can be as few as four or five visits in person. And then the rest of the visits can be turned into telemedicine visits. 
And is there any support for participating families or compensation for travel or any other benefits that people should know about? We have benefited immensely from the Be Careful Fund that is coordinated through the TSC Alliance and administrated through the National Organization of Rare Diseases, or NORD. Our patients are eligible as long as there is funding available within that resource to take advantage of that to help with travel and travel associated costs. Some of the centers may also have local sources to help with travel costs as well, in addition to what is available through NORD. Finally, we do not have compensation for the study visits themselves. We include this alongside of what they're getting as part of their clinical care, but there's no specific funds for reimbursing you for the time spent in study visits, for example. However, any of the research-only procedures, so if you have an EEG that would not have already been done because of clinical reasons, or if you have lab tests that are done as part of the study that would not have been done as part of your care, then the study will pay for those research-only tests. You will not have to pay anything out of pocket for those. But if you have tests that you would have had done, whether you were in the study or not, then those would be billed to your insurance as they normally would. Can you talk just briefly about the structure of the trial in terms of who gets drug, who doesn't, and who is blinded from knowing the difference? Yeah, there's a lot of different trial designs that we carefully consider when we are thinking about how to answer a question that we think is really important scientifically and clinically. In this case, where we're hoping to truly learn how well the medicine works and maybe even be able to influence on how the FDA considers this medicine can be approved for use in the United States, it really requires us to do a blinded study design. And that involves us using placebo or a medication that looks like, in this case, we're using serolimus. We could have used everolimus, but we use both of those in the treatment of TSC. And so in this study, we're specifically using serolimus. And then we have a medication that looks like serolimus, but it doesn't have the active ingredient in it. And that's called placebo. In this study, some of the patients will get serolimus and some of the patients will get placebo. And we can't know who gets which medicine. Now, we have designed the study in a ways that most patients get serolimus and not placebo, but we have to have a small number. Basically, one third of the patients get placebo and two thirds get serolimus in the study design. So the way it works is that you come in for your baseline visit and we do the safety labs and we do an EEG and we do a medical history. And based on the patient's age when they enroll between zero and six months of age and based on what their starting EEG looks like, it helps us decide on how how to distribute the medication between serolimus and placebo. And then they continue on that medication until they're 12 months of age, at which point we stop the study medication. And then the clinician who takes care of that patient has the option of prescribing serolimus to continue it or not. But at that point, there's no more blinding in the study. You would get whatever medication you and your clinician decide that you want to continue through the 24-month study period. In that initial 12-month period, if a child gets assigned to the placebo group and goes on to start having seizures, what happens at that point? At that point, they get immediate initiation of treatment that's appropriate for their seizures. It's been our standard practice and most of the centers that participate in the study is to start by gabapentin immediately upon the first clinical or seizure that's detected on an EEG. We use that for spasms, certainly as the first recommended treatment for TSC patients who have infantile spasms, but it's also a good medication for focal seizures, which many of our patients we've learned from other studies that we've done in the consortium that many patients may not start with infantile spasms, but they may start with focal seizures. And vigabatrin is a good treatment option for those as well. So our experience so far in patients in this study and, and similar studies is that literally the first day that the parents say, I think we had a seizure or, or if they've got a video of their baby doing something funny and they send it to us for to look at, we literally are able to get them started by vigabatrin within 24 hours in most instances. So we're very responsive in that situation. They still 
stay on study medication because we still think it could be protective and help the long-term outcome, even if they start to have seizures, but they will get treated immediately with vigabatrin. And then if they need more treatment or treatment adjustments from there, then we follow whatever the clinician thinks is best choice for that patient. On the other side, you mentioned that one of the secondary measurements is the safety and efficacy of the drug. If a participant is on active drug, or even if they aren't, if they start having other adverse effects, what happens then? Very similar to if they have a seizure, they are immediately in touch with us. And at that point, we help them decide, do we think it's related to their study medication or not? Do we think it's related to something else? In any case, we make sure that we're treating it appropriately. So if we think it could be related to study medication or we're not sure, we'll have them hold the medication while we get things sorted out. If we think it's definitely caused by the study medication, we will have them hold the medication and then we will decide whether it's safe to restart it at a later time point in the study or whether we need to restart it, but at a lower dose. All of those are different possibilities that we've encountered. So far in the study, we've not had to stop treatment completely because of an adverse effect. And that's very promising. And that's consistent with what we learned when we looked at early use across the world at other TSC clinics in patients that were under the age of two. We found that the side effects weren't any different for these younger ages. We just haven't done a perspective study like this with the proper blinding that needs to happen for us to truly know what the safety parameters are. Are there any other risks involved in participation that families should be aware of? I think the biggest one are we do see a slight increase in lipids and cholesterol in patients that are on these medications in general. We do seem to see that sometimes in infants, but we also see that with infants that are on formula or are breastfeeding. And so I don't think it's a clear indication the medication is causing that, but we certainly worry about that. Historically, there's been worry about infections occurring in patients who take mTOR inhibitors. We have found in other placebo-controlled trials that the infection rates are no different between patients taking everolimus or serolimus compared to placebo, but we still take extra precautions just to make sure that that stays the case in a study like this as we want to prove that that still holds true for the younger population. The mouth sores that we have reported in older patients, both clinically and in the clinical trials that led to their approval by the FDA, we haven't been running into that nearly the same amount in infants. So we need to finish the study to see if that holds true, but it just shows you that we can have both less side effects in younger populations because of various reasons. And we certainly want to make sure that there's no increased risk of side effects. So you mentioned that this isn't the first trial to do early intervention in TSC. Obviously, there was the EpiStop trial and the PREVENT trial. How does this trial differ from those two trials and build off of what we learned from those previous trials? That is an excellent question. And it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, that these are exciting times. What EpiStop did and what PREVENT, which we are expecting those results, very shortly here in 2023. What those aimed to do was work toward seizure prevention and disease progression modification and protection by targeting epilepsy. And we use Vigabatrin because that's, as I mentioned earlier, a recommended first-line treatment for seizures in this age range. And earlier studies had suggested that using Vigabatrin very early could have potential benefit for preventing seizures or preventing seizure-related TAN symptoms down the road. So both of those are epilepsy focused using an epilepsy medication. The fundamental difference of TSC steps is that we're no longer asking a medication, although we're using epilepsy as its marker of how it's working, it's not just going after epilepsy. It's going after the basis of TSC itself. And so while we're keenly interested in what it can do in the short term in ways that we can measure its impact on epilepsy and TAND, we fully expect to continue to follow these children, particularly those who stay on medication for various reasons 
reasons, whether it's truly preventative for all aspects of TSC that have mTOR and the mTOR pathway at its central basis of pathology. So we're really optimistic that EpiStop and Prevent, you hopefully show us that prevention works. Now we're asking, well, what happens if you try to prevent the, the disease in its entirety rather than just one specific aspect of it? That's what I think is really unique about this study and how it builds on what they've been doing in Prevent and EpiStop. The window in which you are looking to enroll patients very early on in life before the onset of their first seizure is a pretty small window. What are the challenges to enrolling infants in a study like this? And what tactics have you found have been most successful in finding those families? The challenge is finding these individuals in a time frame when they're still eligible to participate. We've done studies now going back over 10 years where we've been looking at what early TSC looks like and how we might step in and make a difference. And I know in those other studies, we've had repeated occasions where patients have come to us for a second opinion. And the first they're hearing about that they could have done a trial at an earlier stage in their TSC story was never presented to them. Their physicians never mentioned it and they didn't stumble across it on the internet or other ways. So we really depend on word of mouth by the TSC community, our regional chairs and directors of the regional alliances, and then other just moms and dads that have lived through this aspect of TSC and are active in places like Facebook and other media or ways to connect outlets. Have somebody who shows up new to the community, then they're providing that essential support to them as they work through this new thing called tuber sclerosis in their lives and what it means. To also say, you know, there might be a study that you're interested in, and this is what I know about it, and this is how you can find out more about this study. So that's definitely one aspect. The other aspect is I am and my colleagues in the TSC clinics and centers of excellence, whether they're part of this study or not, certainly appreciate the emotional turmoil that comes around having a new diagnosis of TSC at the same time you're dealing with a new baby and all the things that go with just having a new member of your family and your schedules are turned upside down, everybody's sleep deprived, and there's just a lot happening as this adjustment occurs. So we have found it very useful to start talking about the possibility of the study when we meet these expectant parents before the baby's born. We are now making a diagnosis of TSC or suspect a diagnosis of TSC in more than 50% of individuals who are ultimately get the diagnosis based on prenatal ultrasounds. And so that's a good time for us to start just saying, hey, we don't have to make a decision now. And there's a lot that's going to be happening between now and the time the baby's born. But we just want to mention to you a little bit about this study so that you know that there's things that you can consider once we get to that stage of the baby being born and working on what needs to be done to take care of them. So there's an onus not just to raise awareness of the study in the TSC community so that people can advocate for it online, but also to raise awareness to those frontline physicians who may be the ones to make the referral early on, even while the mother is still pregnant. Yeah, and we have found it very useful here. And I've talked with other TSC clinic directors around the country. Many of us, because of this ability to make a prenatal diagnosis, have started to establish stronger relationships with the local cardiologists who get referred for babies that are diagnosed with cardiac rhabdomyomas and prenatal ultrasounds, and also a stronger relationship with maternal fetal medicine experts who often these babies are referred to. So we more and more are having that relationship. And I think it's just good for good clinical care 
been good for any TSC clinic and center of excellence to develop those relationships because I think it's better TSC care overall. So you mentioned the role that families who have lived through those early effects of TSC play in helping to raise awareness. And whenever we talk about an early intervention study, they say, this is exciting. This is great. We're happy to help get newly diagnosed families plugged in. But what about my kid who's too old to participate or an adult with TSC who's too old to participate? What opportunities are for them to get involved in research? That is a great question, because I think it's sometimes when you hear about studies like TSC steps or epi stop or prevent, you think, is that all they're doing? I'm at a different stage in my TSC story and I need other things being done for tuber sclerosis. And the good news is this is just a model that we're following. And this is one aspect that we say, hey, we can measure something. We have a time frame that we can tell whether a medicine is making an impact or not, but it's clearly not the full story. So let me give you a couple examples to where this model is being repeated in other aspects of TSC and other age groups. Number one is we have the MILES trial, which was a trial that was done and published almost 10 years ago at this point, and eventually led to an FDA approval to use serolimus for the treatment of lymphangiomatosis or LAM in TSC. But that was a trial that looked at people who had very advanced LAM. They already had symptoms and they were having breathing difficulties or other signs of significant LAM burden. Well, after we got the FDA approval, the LAM consortium and our LAM colleagues said, well, we think we should try to treat this sooner before it gets really advanced. And so they developed and started and had funding to do what's called the MILD trial. The first trial was called the MILES trial. And this is the MILD trial where they actually look for the earliest signs of LAM that they can detect and measure. And then they're offering serolimus and measuring whether they can prevent even going on to having more severe forms of LAM. So that's an exciting example of another aspect of TSC, a totally different age group, since that's adult women, where they're trying to do a preventative strategy, just like we're trying to do here for epilepsy. A second example I would use is the Rare Disease Clinical Research Network or the Developmental Synaptopathies Consortium that involves, along with TSC, projects that are looking at other genetic disorders who have very similar symptoms, either with epilepsy or autism or intellectual disability. That includes P10, hamartoma syndrome, and Phelan McDermott syndrome. Now, in that study, we started to look at what are the features of intellectual disability and autism, which are major aspects of TAND in school-age children with TSC. And now we're doing that for adults who have TSC as well. Well, with that baseline data, we were finally in a position to say, hey, what aspect of TAN do we have fairly good measures or assessment tools for that we have characterized within the RD Syrian study that we want to test a treatment strategy for? And in that case, we are very soon expecting funding to do a trial looking at emotional dysregulation or really those patients who have trouble controlling their emotions, frequent outbursts and tantrums. And we're looking at school age children in order to test this treatment for. So stay tuned later in 2023, we hope to get final confirmation that that funding is coming and that we also are ready to announce who would be eligible and how to enroll into that study. So stay tuned. The million dollar question that people are going to ask when they hear about this trial is, this is so cool. When will we have results? So what is the timeline for the study? That is probably, you know, the answer that I am loath to provide because no clinical trial really is quick unless you just have unlimited resources to do a study where you can basically not worry so much about efficiency as much as just as fast as you can do it. I would compare it to like we got COVID vaccines because the U.S. government threw intense amounts of money behind just getting vast amounts of data very quickly, even though it was a very inefficient way to do it. We don't have that luxury in tuber sclerosis. So this study started in 2021 and it will go through 
through 2025. So we probably won't have results till late 2025 or early 2026 to share from that. That seems an awful long ways away. And it is. I wish it was faster as a researcher. I know that the families that I interface, that I interact with that have TSC want these kind of results yesterday. But that's the fastest we can do a proper trial and get the results that we need with the mechanisms available to us. And for those listening who may be interested in enrolling, where can they get more information about the trial? Our information is found on clinicaltrials.gov. The TSC STEPS website will also be active as a source, and that's tsc-steps.org. We also partner very closely with the TSC Alliance. And so there's information on the TSC Alliance website in their research and the various ways that they communicate with families and patients who have tuber sclerosis. They have information about the studies as well. You certainly can always reach out to me directly and to the study leadership team by email, and that's info at tsc-steps.org. I would also not discount all of the families that have done earlier studies or that are participating in ongoing studies. There's a lot of questions that people may have about, do I really have the time to participate in a research study? Should I be worried about possibly taking placebo? Do I need to be worried about mTOR inhibitors? And there are lots of people out there, both in their clinical care of themselves or their family members, or in earlier trials, they have experienced many of these kind of things. So I know that the families I've talked to, they said, yeah, I'd be happy to talk with anybody else who had questions about being in a study or what's involved and how to deal with potential concerns or challenges that could occur as part of being in a study. There are many families that have gone through that process and speak very highly of both. They're glad that they took that opportunity to participate. And they also are very thankful that as TSC care moves forward and built on this type of research and these studies, that they had a role in it. They did something to change TSC. So talk to other families that have done research or are doing research in TSC because I think by and large, most of them have a very positive experience and or can answer questions that maybe I don't even perceive since I'm not the actual patient. How does the possibility of preventing seizures associated with TSC shift the paradigm of care for those with TSC? So traditionally for every medical condition, what we've done is wait for somebody to have a diagnosis or have a symptom, and then we offer treatment for that symptom. So we wait for you to have seizures and we give you seizure medicine. If you have diabetes, we wait for you to start having bad sugars or bad hemoglobin A1C, and then we give you your diabetes medicine. When all of us would probably agree that it'd be better if we we could do all that ahead of time and not get to those later stages and complications. And so that's really what this is. It's that paradigm shift going away from let's wait till your child has seizure before we do something or let's worry about tan coming up when we have other ways that we may be able to head tanned off at the past before it gets too far along and harder to address. That's one big picture item. The second big picture item is we have this goal that we would love to detect TSC universally before anything happens. So that we have the full opportunity to be on the monitoring for anything going contrary to what we hope or stepping in with preventive treatments like we hope TSC steps will provide us. And so along that, there's a process called universal screening, you know, where we can baby check every baby. Do they have TSC before we find out after the fact? And in that case, we also need to have a treatment. Universal screenings don't get approved unless you have something you can offer to change that baby's life course. And so TSC steps is one of those ways that we 
can say, hey, we've got something. We've got something that can change things. And then that would help us move closer to including TSC in a newborn screen, for example. It's just one step of many, but it's an essential step. And you talked a little bit about it when you were talking about early intervention in LAMB through the MILD trial or looking at TAN symptoms. Are there other manifestations of TSC that we could potentially intervene early or prevent entirely through this model? I would be hard pressed to say there aren't any that we couldn't think about this as a possibility. Some manifestations have relatively low incidence. And so I don't know if we'll truly get preventative for those alone. For example, Sega, we know that mTOR inhibitors work very well to treat Sega's in the brain, but only between 15, maybe 20% tops. And then and depend on some criteria, maybe as low as 10% of patients ever develop a Sega. But if we're actually treating something that has high incidence like epilepsy, we fully expect that it also will prevent things like Sega from developing in those 10% who also are very likely to already be potentially on prevention treatment for epilepsy. So that's just the example in that regard. From a kidney standpoint, we know that angiomyolipomas tend to start showing up later in childhood and adolescence and continue to accumulate or grow throughout adulthood. So we have to monitor those throughout the lifespan of a patient TSC. But we've done studies where we've looked at another kidney manifestation such as renal cysts. And we looked at those patients who happen to be on mTOR inhibitors for SEGA or for epilepsy. And we found that the renal cyst and many of those patients either disappeared completely or reduced in number. And we think, although it's harder for us because of the timelines involved to prove that it's also preventing angiomyopomas, but we would suspect that the same is true there as well. So I really think there's all these different aspects that if we find that a prevention strategy using mTOR inhibitors or whatever else is on the horizon, whether it be genetic therapies, or other strategies that we have a significant chance for preventing many different aspects of TSC. I know that we recently got approved by the FDA for treatment of a topical therapy for treating facial angiofibromas. And we've long suspected and had discussions with various partners about whether it made sense to start that topical treatment when kids are toddlers or when they're preschoolers, when angiofibromas are first appearing rather than waiting until they're, they're more significant later in life. So I really think that, you know, when you go after the fundamental basis of a disorder like TSC by targeting the import pathway itself, I really think there's a wide open possibility of how prevention and disease modification might work. And then, like I said, as our tools get more sophisticated and maybe sometime in the future we move beyond mTOR inhibitors, we'll already laid the groundwork of when and how to intervene and we'll just have a better tool, hopefully, that could do that even better. Can you share what your hope is for the trial and what your pitch is to families to participate? Yeah, so my hope for the trial is we show a clear benefit from targeting TSC at the early stages of the disorder. And currently that's targeting babies as soon as they're first born, their first day of life or their first week of life. Although we have a window until six months of age, it makes sense that the sooner that the parents think it would be appropriate and that we're ready to begin them in a trial, that we offer that as a possibility to them. We really hope that although we are measuring epilepsy as our marker in this study specifically, we really hope by doing these things very early in life, we can really see long-term benefits in all other aspects of TSC. This study won't prove that, but it'll lay the groundwork for us to continue to ask that possibility whether that's something that it truly is happening as we follow these participants later in their life. We also hope that this truly does open the door for many other preventative and disease-modifying strategies for all aspects of TSC. I mentioned that we're doing the study for TAN and emotional dysregulation difficulties, but our expectation would be, can we expand that therapy through more telemedicine options so that more people can use it and access it. Can we extend that into young adults? 
or even adults who struggle with having aggression and outbursts and difficult to manage behaviors in TSC, which is what that trial is targeting. Can we use it for lamb beyond what the mild trial is able to show us? Can we use it for kidney angiomyelipomas? Can we use it for facial angiomyelipomas? I really hope that this really opens the door saying, hey, yes, if we've got an aspect of TSC, then it makes total sense for us to try to target these things very early on and maybe take them off the table of even a worry for families who deal with tuber sclerosis today. Thank you for the role you play in helping to move the ball forward and make that possibility a reality. And thank you for just your continued commitment to the TSC community and all the work that you do. Thank you. For, you're very welcome. Wouldn't have it any other way. My thanks again to Dr. Kruger for taking time to share about the TSC Steps trial. The TSC Steps website is now live. You can check it out at tscsteps.org. I'll include the link in the show notes, as well as links to learn more about the MILD trial, Developmental Synaptopathies Consortium, and where on our website you can find all TSC trials currently recruiting. Of course, new treatments and breakthroughs in TSC aren't possible without the participation by those affected. So I echo Dr. Kruger's sentiments about taking advantage of participating in trials you are eligible for and helping spread the word on major trials like TSC Steps to families with newly diagnosed babies who would benefit from their participation. Thank you too to everyone who has already participated in a clinical trial for helping move our understanding of TSC forward. Together, we are truly working toward a world where all those with this disease can live their fullest lives. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.